0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Short-Term Show special episode series on Branson, Missouri, where we are doing a 10 episode deep dive on how to buy a short-term rental in Branson. So we've got a few supplemental materials for y'all in addition to the content on this podcast over on our website. So any questions you have about purchase prices and searching properties, you can do that on our website. And we also have the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA income data, uh, on properties in Branson. So you can find these things at theshorttermshop.com. So www.theshorttermshop.com, purchase prices and income data. If you want to buy a short term rental property with a short term shop agent in Branson, you can email us at agents at shorttermshop.com. Or if you just like us, you just want to hang out with us more, there's a few ways you can do that. join our facebook group it's the same title as my book it's called short-term rental long-term wealth we're over there talking about short-term rental investing all day every day or if you prefer to talk to us in person or virtual person you can join our zoom call that we have every thursday you sign up for that at strquestions.com we'll catch you guys over there Hey guys, welcome back to the contract process episode on Branson of the Short-Term Show special episode series. So today we're gonna go through uh, just the contract process when it comes to buying a property in Branson. So we're gonna start at the beginning uh, and go you know, all the way through to the end. So I have a, again, another great panel. Uh, Bill, do you want to introduce yourself really quick?
1: My name is Bill Beck. I'm a Branson real estate agent. I've been with the (laughs) short term shop for a couple of weeks. I have a background (laughs) with helping people buy vacation rentals all over. So know the vacation rental real estate thing
2: inside and out the last six years. So,
0: All right. Thanks, Bill. Nick and Johnny, you want to introduce yourself really quick?
2: Yes, you bet. I'm John Rulon. I uh, started uh, White River Home Inspects and Services about uh, eight years ago, and we've been doing condo and houses for... That's pretty much our specialty is just the the home and condo arena. So,
0: All right. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, So we're going to start at the very beginning of writing a contract. So let's say I'm a client I have been working with Bill for a little while. We figured out a property when we want to make an offer on. We're going to make an offer on it. So Bill, what are the typical terms of a contract in Branson? So let's start with days. How many days typically does it take to... What's the standard offer in terms of days to close?
1: Standard for someone using (laughs) a loan, uh, the biggest, I guess, time constraint is going to be appraisal. So here our appraisers tend to generally be like four weeks out. Uh, this is kind of in the standard since I've been doing this. So four weeks being, you know, 28 days. So, you know, add another week on that 35 days would be a quick closing, maybe another 10 days to give extra time. If it's a little bit busy or things are a little, you know, whatever reason. So 35, 45 days is generally the entire contract duration. Um, that way there's no stress. Um, you can do it in 30 days, but, um, Usually within two weeks, you know, you've got most of the things knocked out and it's that appraisal is kind of the thing that can stretch things out a little longer.
0: Okay. And what are the typical contingencies of Missouri contracts?
1: Uh, just your standard ones, you know, with the uh, lending contingency, obviously make a contingent upon you being able to get your loan. Uh, appraisal contingency is separate from that. Obviously, if it doesn't appraise, you can talk about renegotiating it or figure out what to do from there. Um, inspection, so that's the that's the big one.
2: Mm-hmm. That's the one
1: where uh, we've got a couple different ways of going about it. Uh, in terms of like if you are doing an inspection, you find out there's something majorly wrong with it. You can get like another specialist to go in there with another extension. Um, but that contingency is generally the biggest one. Uh, we have property data period, which is an interesting one. Have you, do you have that another? Oh, no, periods? I've never that's heard property of that data period. That's generally, I think it autofills for like a couple of days, like five days. Um, But this is one where it gives you time as a buyer to like research and find out, hey, what are the area taxes or what are the, is there any like sex offenders that are your neighbors or various, like it's very kind of ambiguous as far as like what the data uh, related to the property could be. So I've never used it to back out of a deal. i um, never had it used against me as a listing agent. So it's something that that people should be aware of though that, hey, I'm like not sure about this, but I want to make an offer. Generally, you want to get those things answered before getting under contract. But that does exist in case there's something awful that someone discovers that they're like, oh my gosh, I bought something and I didn't realize I needed to do all these things. Like do the fire suppression installation thing when I thought I didn't need to and I don't want to do it anymore. It's like, well, okay, we'll we'll use that to get out of it, so.
0: Oh, wow, okay. So you have appraisal, financing, inspection, and property data period. So we're going to come back to those things in a minute. But first, we're going to talk about your earnest money deposits. So is an earnest money deposit the only deposit that you have to make in Missouri? And is it refundable? or Are there any extra non-refundable deposits you have to make, or just typically your refundable earnest money?
1: Usually refundable. And I usually say, you know, you don't don't tell people explicitly what to do. I say, don't go over $5,000 in earnest money usually, because I believe that switches the court system that if there were some sort of uh, contract dispute, it would no longer be in small claims court. It would go to some other court so five thousand is kind of the upper limit but typically one percent and some of these places that are you know two hundred thousand dollars i'm like go ahead use five hundred dollars or a thousand it's plenty right <laughs> so um never lost anybody earnest money uh the only time we've ever had to like do non-refundable is when we've had like nightmare scenario not nightmare but pa- <laughs> painful for scenario where they're doing a ten thirty one exchange for their their multi unit up in a different state. Their agent's like, "Yeah, you're good, you're fine." Come to find out, oh, it's a commercial appraiser, and we need them, and they're six weeks out. It's like, well, your deadline's like right now, so we need to buy more time, literally, because this was last year when the market was was appreciating. So the listing agent's like, "I'm not just going to give you another six weeks to sell this thing. Like, you're going to have to like pony up a little bit." So we actually had to like. Increase the contract price by a little bit, but then they're like, Hey, I want non refundable earnest money too, just because I'm like, because of the, I'm giving you grace with giving you more time to do it. Here, we'll give you, you know, a thousand dollars non refundable and then increase the total earnest money from 2,500 to 5,000. So that's a unique scenario, but generally, you know, we don't like to lose people earnest money. I haven't done it yet. So nobody
0: likes to, don't say that out loud. The next contract will be one that they the seller doesn't want to give it back. Um,
1: yeah, but bottom line is keep keep in line with your deadlines. I'm I, you know always you know sell send someone when we go under contract your important dates saying hey I'm gonna be watching this too but you need to be aware of like this is when earnest money is due this is when your lending contingency is is done so it's just this this nice list at the very the very first thing I send to people so they have that available so they can kind of keep checking their time to make sure that if they are you know, missing anything, it's not going to be a surprise.
0: Cool. So if you find something in the inspection that makes you nervous, you can terminate and get your earnest money back, right?
1: We have interesting on our contract, we have a checkbox. This is just totally random, but it's like a checkbox saying, if you check this box you eliminate your ability to unilaterally terminate the contract. So some agents up in Springfield, they like do that like as normal course of business agents down here in Branson, we don't usually do that. We do have an escape clause. So if the place is super jacked up. We're talking like hold the works, right? John, like the, the, the mold and the HVACs, like got things falling apart and you know, the, the decks falling down and, structural integrities at risk. It's like, okay. But um, generally speaking, the three options are you know buyer satisfied with the inspection. Option two, which most people do is here's our list of things we want to fix. And then option three, which is we're just unilaterally killing it. But if you check that box, you don't get to do option three. So you have to either say we're good with it, or here's what we want fixed, which then goes into the whole negotiations of no, we're not going to fix that, but we'll do this instead, or we'll give you credit. And then, well, yeah, that'll, so that'll
0: what happen. happens if you don't come to an agreement on those things by the end of the inspection period? What happens?
1: That means the contract falls apart. Exactly. So you have 10 days from the moment that you submit your inspection notice. So, is the, obviously, the inspection report that gets generated. So when you put together your inspection notice and you get it to the other agent, that's the 10-day clock is starting to tick. That means everything needs to be resolved. I, it took me... I mean, when I was a brand new agent, I still didn't quite get the timing of it. Now I'm fully aware. It's like you have 10 days from that inspection notice to like, we are solved, figured it out, everything's good to go.
0: Okay. And if if it's not resolved by then, do you get your earnest money back as a buyer? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So if okay. ultimately, if the the seller doesn't respond or you know, you don't come to agreement and it's still like, hey, we're just too far apart, they will get their money back.
0: Okay. And how long is an inspection period usually in that market?
1: So a contract standard for 10 days is for okay. w- when you can get it done. I usually like to write in 15 days just because certain times a year when we get really busy here in Branson, like I mean, inspectors get clogged up, these properties get booked out, you might have like a four hour window where you're sharing it with like a cleaning company. And I see John on his (laughs) head. So you got to kind of like, let's just put two weeks in there just to be safe. And I've I've even extended even further when it's like July where it's like, guys, we're, you know, our next checkouts in like 13 days, you know? And it's like, all right, well, we'll figure it out.
0: Okay. And can you, during this time, can you, assuming you don't have that, that special box checked in the initial contract, can you terminate for anything or does it have to be related to the inspection itself? Because in some markets, like you can terminate, you can stub your toe that day and say, "Never mind, I don't want to buy it. You get your earnest money back. In some markets, it does have to be related to the inspection report. So that's what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah. It's the latter. So you do have to have some for cause reason that data or the property data period, I guess, theoretically could be the no cause. Hey, I figured out like, you know, this is the acreage and I thought it was getting this acreage. So therefore I don't want to buy it anymore. You know, just some random thing, but that's usually five days. If you start to put in your contract, like, yeah, we want like three weeks for that. I've gotten offers like that as a listing agent. I've been like, mm, no, you're not, you don't get to like, think about this for that long. Like it's either- <laughs> <laughs> you get, you get a couple days to like figure it out and then you're, you're no longer just getting to like pull the ripcord on this. So,
0: Okay. Um, next question then. So in terms of earnest money, and hopefully this makes sense the way I ask it the first time, if I terminate due to something in the contract that allows me to terminate and get my earnest money back, is it just automatic? Like the title company says, yep, here you go. Or does the seller have to actually sign a release that says, yes, they're getting their earnest money back? They do. That's the, okay.
1: the mutual release. That's like All right. The, is that the term you use in other markets?
0: In some of them. Yeah. So yeah.
1: That is the that is the document that when you are like, okay, let, we're not doing this, we want our money back, we're, we're we're canceling the contract. It's the mutual release document. That's always an unpleasant one, just because that means like the deal's basically dying. Um, yeah. Yeah. so basically, I mean, like I have had situations where agents are like, well, my guy's not going to sign it. it's like, oh, you want to get brokers involved? Like, you're not going to win this. Like, we're telling you based upon the rules of the contract, we're getting you out. We followed everything accordingly. Now, if you don't follow suit, like you're really just being stupid because like it's right here says that, that we can do this. So
0: well, and that's what I kind of want to get into here is that I've seen situations where Maybe where a buyer has really put a seller through the ringer and they've like already moved furniture out that they didn't want and they've canceled 50, 100,000. It's always some exorbitant number of bookings in the future. And then the buyer, even though they're within their right to terminate and get their earnest money back, the buyer will terminate and then the seller will say, no, no, I'm not signing this because you made me cancel all these bookings and you made me do all this stuff. Shit that the seller shouldn't have done anyway. But anyway, what I'm getting at is that sometimes buyers assume that earnest money is an automatic refund when it's not. The seller still has to agree to sign it and nobody can make the decision, the you know final decision on who is right and who is wrong except a judge. So, you know, we can't call and holler at title companies about releasing earnest money or brokers like all all we can do as agents is try to convince our seller like hey you know they did terminate under the contingencies so do you really want to take this all the way to a judge to say you have to give it back like let's just give it back but sometimes like i've seen sellers hang on to it so you have to make sure that you understand that if a seller doesn't feel like signing it or if they've gotten mad or upset during the deal at some point you might have to wait a little bit while either they cool off or it goes through the court system. So just understand that it doesn't, it's not just like that. So don't try to get cute with contingencies. I've seen that too, where people are like, Oh, but you know, we technically did. And it's because they found some, usually it's because they found something else that they want to buy or they're just being silly uh but don't don't be silly <laughs> in these deals because seller does have to sign it so they do have the fi- not the final word but they can make it really difficult for you to get your earnest money back uh if you if you play around so don't play around is all i'm saying it's a legally binding contract yeah okay try to
1: at least have the perception of being a good person that do, <laughs> right like even if you're not just just make it feel or at least i'm gonna make make it my job to make it feel like you're a good person. And like, it's not the fault. There's no antagonistic relationship here. It just seems to be something that's inherent in real estate where there's this like me versus you. Maybe it's because there's this whole negotiation process at the beginning where it's like, I'm going to take from you, but then no, I'm going to take back because I and me versus you. Where at the end of the day, it's like, well, hey, I'm helping you as a buyer by giving you money for the place that you want to get rid of. And you, seller, you know, are happy to, you know, use me and my money to to move along. So it's a it's a it's a it's a nice domestic partnership. We don't even need to make this into a, you know, get the cops called because there's you know domestic violence happening. Cause this is uh <laughs> because whatever that happens, it's usually like just adds stress to everybody involved. And it's like, well, we don't need to be us first then.
0: Yeah. It's all everyone's negotiating in good faith to come away from the deal with what they would like to have. Yeah. Um, all right. So what else in terms of, okay, inspection. So before we get into any of the other types of contingencies, let's talk about the inspection itself. So Johnny, it is your time to shine. Okay. So uh, if I'm a buyer in the Branson market, what is typically covered? If I'm calling you to do an inspection, what typically are you inspecting? What's covered in that initial home inspection?
2: Mm-hmm. So we do, if it's a full home inspection, we do it from the roof. All the way down to the crawl space to the ground, and so we're pretty fussy. We go through all the, the components: the electrical, the HVAC, the plumbing, you know, electrical, and uh, roof, crawl space, pretty much everything. And we detail even the smallest things because even if you buy a car with a scratch on it, you may not care about it, but we want to know it's there. And so that's kind of how we treat it. We're pretty fussy. So, so you guys
0: cannot like open up walls and inspect inside of walls and things like that, right? So
2: that's that's, uh, some of the issues we have is is that when people hire a home inspector, they don't really know exactly what we do. They haven't read the standard of practice with home inspectors. And so I do hit that every now and then because they don't understand that we don't open walls. We don't tear into things. We don't move furniture. And so, uh, you know, you wish that they go to our website and do a little homework on exactly what we do, but Uh, they're busy and they have other things on their mind and they just trust us. And so we try to do the best we can.
0: And actually, that's one thing that I wanted to mention that you just reminded me of this. So guys, when you are looking for a home inspector in a market, yes, your agent is going to have a few recommendations because they've done a lot of deals and they've Uh, seen a lot of home inspections. So they're going to have recommendations on home inspectors. But what you should not do is just tell your agent, oh yeah, just use whoever you always use. Just schedule them for me. You need to be calling inspectors yourself, no matter where the recommendation comes from and seeing what's included. Make sure you guys understand each other and you need to hire your own vendors. Don't just give put that responsibility on someone else or just out of convenience say, oh yeah, Bill, whoever you use is fine. Just, Just get them in there. Make sure you're calling. Calling and vetting that inspector or vet, whatever vendor it is uh, yourself and not just relying on someone else. That's your I job. Would,
2: I would have something to add. So, what I would recommend too is, is when they do do their homework about the person they call, ask them, do they get on the roof? Because I'm seeing a lot of guys that just do drone footage and probably 5% of the roofs out there are really hard to get on. And so, I can understand the drone, that's safety. But you want to ask them, do you get in the crawl space? Do you see every corner of the crawl space? Uh, you want to make sure you basically like an interview you want to interview your home inspector and see to what degree do they go to do the best they can for you. So
0: totally, totally agree with that. Okay. So back to what we were saying. So uh, yeah, I've, I've seen buyers get upset because there's, you know, maybe they'll see a stain on the ceiling and they want the home inspector to open the ceiling up and look, and that's just not what is done. Right.
2: Yeah. No, we, now we have, you know, uh, tools like moisture meters and I can tell you if it's an active leak or not. Uh, But yes, we typically pass that on to a contractor to where the contractor would, if let's say that there was an active leak, but we can't see behind the wall, so I don't know exactly what's going on. We recommend a phase two inspection where the contractor comes in, they'll tear into it, they'll make a bid on how to fix it, and then you kind of know more about what's going on.
0: And that's a really great segue into my next question. So can home inspectors give you quotes or diagnosis on how to fix something or are they just solely pointing things out?
2: So there are a few in our area that do that. So they'll, they'll make a home inspection and then they'll make a separate bid sheet to fix a lot of these items. And that's fine, I've seen both ways. Personally, I the way, we, the way I approach a home inspection is my goal is to find the defects, but then to give them confidence to give them confidence either way, whether it's good or bad. And I find that if you are doing work, so it'd be like me saying, Hey, I found all these issues, but I can fix them for you for this amount of money. It just, it's a little, I don't know. That'd be tough for me to do. So I try to stay out of the fixing business and I pass that on to a contractor and I just do my job of finding the defects and helping them gain confidence, whether they want to buy the house or they don't, I'm still there to answer questions and give them confidence. So <clears throat>
0: Totally agree with that. I think that I don't think that most home inspectors are doing this, but I do think that it creates a little bit of a conflict of interest when you're a home inspector and you're saying, "Here's what's wrong with it. Here's what I'll charge you to fix it." I just most people, I'm sure, are honest, but it does present the opportunity. So I don't love that. I like, and what, John they-
1: does. I like what you do, sir. When you when you include the list of recommended mm-hmm. vendors to to, as, to resolve an issue, so it's like problem solution.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes, and I can't. You know, how many clients once they like you and they trust you, well, they want you to help them all the way through. And I'd love to, although I have, I'm busier with other businesses. But uh, it's just best in the end that they, and you know, I'm sure Billy, you know, a lot of good contractors, and you can help them move on to that next phase pretty seamlessly to get their questions answered. How much would this cost to fix, and so on. I think it's best for the inspector to kind of leave the opinions at home and just uh, find the defects. And you know, give the the client confidence that there's an issue, and then they can move on to the next phase. Uh, I try to tee it up, if you will, for the for the realtor. So
0: awesome, and. So also you keep seguing just perfect into the next question that I'm going to ask. So right. since you have some vendors that you recommend to fix common things that you see on home inspections, what are some common things that you see on most home inspections in this market? I think a lot of buyers think, mistakenly think that there is such a thing as a clean home inspection that says it's blank. It says everything is perfect about this house. And that doesn't exist. And what I don't want people to do is find a really badass deal and get in the home inspection, and then say, "Oh my God, there's five things that are wrong with this. I think we need to terminate." And then they go find another deal that's not quite as good, and then they get the home inspection back, and it has the exact same things. Uh, so, what are those types of things in this market?
2: So, uh, very common things. So, I'll preface this really quickly with saying what I tell my clients is eighty to ninety percent of our report is small stuff, is you know, a sealant, right, sealing up cracks so you know uh, insects can't get in. You have uh, minor maintenance issues. So you're right. People can look at that and think, oh, my gosh, the house is falling down. And the house isn't falling down. It's just it's like your car. It has issues. It has maintenance things. And and houses are maintenance. And so that's part of my job is to walk them through that and to just give them confidence that, hey, uh, you know, this is every house. Most of these issues are every house. I don't care whether it's brand new or it's been there 40 years. You're going to have these issues. And uh, explain that, you know, the uh, oh, my gosh, there's all the little stuff. And to me, most things are little because it's relative to budget and uh, your ability to fix them yourself or whatnot. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I approach it. Most things are small. I
1: will say, too, I I have this happen where some clients come to me right after
2: they get their inspection report.
1: And they're like, all right, Bill, so what does this mean? And how does this work? And what do you think it's going to cost to do that? I'm like, I honestly, I don't know. (laughs) Have you talked to your inspector yet? Have you called them? Did you ask them these same questions? They're usually like... No, not yet. Definitely call them, have that chat, get their technical expertise to give you as much information to go off of because you have obviously limited time to write your inspection report and limited amount of information. You can't just like write an essay on one thing you've seen that it might be this or probably that. Because you're not in the business of speculating, but if you verbally share, oh, you know, there's a nail pop, probably because this building's settling, and that's just kind of what happens. And you know, all you got to do is seal it up, and you're good. Those—that's the extra contextual stuff that uh, usually gives people a little more peace of mind versus just all sorts of things that are uh, broken and messed up.
2: Well, and and I would add that if you have clients like that, so this is what and Mita is my general manager. She does the phones. So if she she finds a client that has more questions than normal of course we put them on the work order so then I can I can approach those issues up front but we tell them hey if you want us to do a courtesy call after the inspection John can give you a call after he's done or he can call you after you get the report that evening or he I can call before I go so again my, go, my goal is to give them confidence and to uh, answer any questions they have so be you're exactly right on that so.
0: Sorry, I keep getting stuck on um, mute when I'm like, start talking and then realize nothing's coming out.
2: It's right. It's
1: Monday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Yeah. So there are some common things that, that'll show up on a lot of them. So let's talk about other things that might be outside of the typical home investments. I mean, home investment, home inspector scope but might also need to be inspected. So are there any ancillary inspections that you ever recommend? I'm sure maybe not so much on a lot of the condos here, but on single families.
2: So we, uh, in my company, we kind of, we don't go into ancillary like the mold or the radon. We don't have a lot of calls for radon. I maybe get four or five calls a year for radon personally. Um, The mold, again, I don't do the mold because I'm after what creates it. Now you can get that and, you know, and, We have inspectors that do mold testing. The biggest one I would recommend every time is the chimney flue, right? So you need to have a phase two inspection. Anytime you sell a house, you want to have a phase two inspection on a uh, fireplace specialist coming in and and cleaning the flue and scoping it. Uh, I've seen some, uh, you know, I have some stories about that kind of stuff where they pulled out the insert and the inserts for the fireplace, wood fireplace was on wooden blocks that were charred and scorched you just don't know what you're getting. And so that's where they come in and they, they completely tear up this, you know, tear the part the system apart and check every piece. And that kind of stuff's very important. Um, but, uh, so yeah, yep. And of course the well and septic, you know, that kind of thing, of course, but yes.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. Mold is such a, I I don't even want to talk about mold because a lot of times, yes, it's mold, but it, everyone's like, Oh, it's black mold. And it's, there's lots of types of mold that are dark, and it's not always like we have to just knock this entire house down and start over. So uh, that can definitely strike fear into the hearts <laughs> of buyers.
2: Well, that's it. You know, and that's where they they, they want to, I guess I'm a little different that way. When I go to look, because I buy houses myself, I'm more worried about what's creating it. To me, the mold's an effect. I'm after the cause. Once you fix the cause, the mold dries up and you can clean it and it's done. And, you know, there's mold spores everywhere. If you start getting moisture back, you're going to start getting the mold again. I don't care if you spray it with the, you know, with the, the white paint and kill all the bacteria you're going to get, you can get it again if you don't fix the cause. So it's not something I'm scared of or scared about. It's just you got to go after the cause of what's creating, whether it's inside the house or under the house, wherever it is. So it's really Reminds not to me of
1: me. A, a walkthrough uh, I did for someone where I was just thinking of video of this condo they wanted and it was uh, waterfront really cool looking. It was raining out, like downpouring. So I'm walking through, doing my video. Everything's cool. You know, my realtor voice, like walking into the kitchen, you're going to, no, I don't, I don't sound like that, but made it fun. And then we get out to the uh, the sun deck patio area and in the corner, the entire corner drywall was just coming down and it was just dripping. And they had a, a bucket that was like two thirds of the way full. So it was like, one, that's terrible looking. Two, they are fully aware of it and their solution at the moment is a bucket. So definitely one of those that uh, you know, obviously prevents uh prevents an issue when you know about it beforehand. So
2: well that probably makes it tricky on condos because you have the association you're waiting on. Right. Right. That makes it even more complicated. So a lot of times with like with a roof or a window or siding or whatnot. So yeah. It makes it tricky. Yeah,
0: yeah it is. <laughs> The wonderful world of real estate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Is there anything else related to inspections, Johnny, that you want to make sure the listeners hear before buying a property here in this market?
2: Uh, Well, like you said, you covered a lot of the bases. Do your homework on inspectors, check reviews. That's a big one. Um, It helps if you kind of have an idea of what's important to you when you call your inspector. Uh, and if you, you know, on the work order, like, you know, we'll say what's important. Well, can you really check the HVAC unit? Okay. Yeah, no problem. And I put it down and then I really, if they, and we'd love for them to show up for the inspection and we can go through it. They can watch what we do. We want them to see how hard we work, right? We get in the attic, we get on the roof and they can see that again, it helps with their confidence level. So, uh, again, yeah, you know, like you said, pretty much just interview the inspector. That's a big deal. Ask them what they do, tell them what's important to you. And, uh, you know, you get what you pay for. So.
0: Totally agree. All I would right. just say when
1: you're when you're in the shopping phase, like if you do end up coming out to visit and look, try to pre-identify this stuff so that we don't get surprised later on. Mm-hmm. If you can go ahead, do yourself a favor with checking out that utility closet. Just looking at it, does it look good? Look, you know, newish. Just look messed up and scary, and like there might be some like health hazards by by. Sit and getting in there. Yeah. Then <laughs> now you're now you're fully aware. So those are things I just I love to hey, let's 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 do some detective work before we even like think about putting in an offer because then that just prevents it from later on being the surprise because I think there's always an emotional it's such an emotional experience to go through an inspection because yeah. It's like people have this this thought in their head of this new investment or this new place that they're going to be bringing in. It's 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 clean, it's going to make them all this money and then the inspector comes in and he's like, "Well, here's the list." Boom, 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 and you know, I think I think he's right in terms of like if it's a long list, but it's all like, okay, there's a crack in the tile, or there's like, you know, they need to put a bead of, um you know, cement to to seal off or whatever. But when it, when it's those big ticket items that just like really are like kind of unknowns. Those are the ones that uh, you just kind of have to prepare for. But luckily, again, with a lot of our condos, you know, anything with roof, foundation, like that's on the HOA to take care of. So it usually is not going to be a problem. So, yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Johnny. We're going to move on over to, well, the negotiation part. Of inspection. So you said we can either ask for money off, we can say, okay, actually, we're good. We'll go ahead and move forward the way that it is, or we can terminate if we don't have that special box checked. So typically, I would recommend, and Bill, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I would imagine that you do. I would recommend that a buyer ask for money off rather than ask for a seller to fix stuff because the seller is going to go as cheap as possible on the fixes, whereas you might as a buyer go for you know a more comprehensive repair that might be a little bit more long-term. So I prefer money off rather than seller fixing it, but I've seen some buyers that are like, no, I just really don't wanna bother with it. I'd rather them just do it and they do it that way. But what do you recommend, Bill?
1: I honestly think people tend to be like, I don't wanna do it, I want them to do it. So I, I love that your your point there is you have the control to pick your contractor. Yes, it's more work, but then it becomes, you, you make sure it gets done right. And I've, I've worked with sellers that are like, okay, we'll do it. You know, we got a guy he will knock it out. You're like, is he going to do a good job? Or like, like no, I'll just, don't just get it done. You're like, okay, yeah, well, free. as your agent, as a listing agent, like I'm here to serve you as your fiduciary, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but generally the, uh, I, I actually don't ask for money off the bat. I say like, here are the items to be repaired by qualified, and then you support it with receipts. And then that way it puts it in their court to if you know they want to go research and find out what those things are, um, and then they come back with the credit. That's great. Uh, or a lot of the negotiation, honestly, is talking to the other agent. I think some agents maybe like this, like, "Hey, I'll just text and you know be quiet and send notices formally." I like to get on the phone and be like, "So let's talk about what we, what we just saw here. Let's you know we're working with a couple small things, but there's the one big ticket item which is." the major concern for the buyer. So let's work this through, figure out a way to make it, uh, make it, make it so that it's not going to kill the deal. Uh, more communication you could do with the other agents so that they're fully aware of what's going on. Cause I mean, at the, the end of the day, both agents are trying to work to help bu- both buyer and seller out. It just becomes like, how do we come to an agreement to alleviate uh, the problem here? And if it's a really, really, really messed up problem, then it kind of just becomes, it is what it is. And it's no hard feelings. Like, like having, like I said, with foundation issues where a porch, like the support beams weren't plumb, and, you know, they're like, okay, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, let's get a structural engineer in here. And he's going to say, oh my gosh, this is worse than I've ever seen anything. And you're just like over there in the corner, like, oh, don't say that. Please don't say that. How much is it? And like, oh, that's like $25,000 a fix. And you're like, okay. And then, you know, kills the deal. And then the seller ends up being like, well, I got to fix this anyway. So then they just do it and sell it later. So
0: yep yeah. uh okay, so how many days we, you, we've got 10 days to negotiate and the, from the time that we submit to them our first notice or request or whatever the term is in that state different terms in every state usually uh all right, so let's move on from that. let's say so we've gotten past our inspection. we've gotten a few bucks off. we're happy with that and let's talk about your financing contingency now. So your financing contingency is separate from your appraisal contingency if I am understanding correctly. So is there a certain date by which you have to have a loan commitment from a lender or it can be denied, you know, five minutes before closing and you still get your earnest money back? So time period or or any time?
1: Standard 25 days, but I do it usually as 35. I always fill mine out with 35. Same with appraisal. I put them all right in the same date. So appraisal and lending contingency just to be, um, should be at 35 days into a contract, should be taken care of. So- okay. I've used the lending contingency to get a buyer out in very rare cases. Um, one time they just like thought they were fine uh, <laughs> with the bank and then they just weren't. So it was like, Hey Bill, sorry, can't tell you too much info, but we can't give a loan. So you're know, like, Oh, and then another one, we actually write out the terms of the loan. If it's conventional loans, we put like percentage down and um, interest rate and just more terms regarding the loan itself. And I've used it once where someone had 20% down that they were going to use, but then they ended up, their bank was like, well, actually, because of this, that, and the other reason, we need you to put 25% down. It was just a little too much for her to to pull from a liquidity standpoint. So she's like, I just, and it was one of these that was having troubles finding a cleaning person. So it was kind of like, okay, now you've got multiple reasons why this deal is not going to work, so...
0: We gotcha. did use that
1: to get out of it. And then the, the bank can put a letter saying, hey, we did. You have to have some like proof. You can't just say, yeah, the, the bank doesn't work. Sorry. You yeah. have some kind of like, here's the document that says they can't do it. So,
0: yeah, um, that's it's like that in most markets. And guys, so you can make what ha- well, what happens if the loan is denied after that 35 day period, but before the closing date, do we lose earnest money? Potentially. Yeah. Or you could always try to get it back, but
1: we get another bank to bail us out.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And we'll get to that in the appraisal in a minute.
1: Where it it becomes like a, hold on, we've got to throw this entire bank under the bus, use a bunch of curse words because they (laughs) lied to us and, you know, tell a story because it's true. Usually like that's what happened. Like the bankers like, I'm sorry, we're going to not be able to do this. And you're like, well, you could have told us that like weeks ago. But in the like on our lending episode, why I got so fired up? You, you definitely reference that. But yeah, you can get another bank and and you know do some last minute heroics. I mean, if they've got an appraisal, they can get it and knock it out pretty quick. So th- it is possible to do that. But your earnest money is definitely like at risk. It just becomes a a, a delicate situation where you're like, hey, other agent, do you really want to like go start this whole process over completely, or do you want to give us at least? you know, maybe two more weeks, we can get you in touch with the bank so that everyone's on the same page and like, you know, band-aid this thing across the finish line. So.
0: All right. So what I'm trying to get at is I've seen it happen in the past where um, a, a loan gets denied after the loan contingency Um, usually in that case, it's because they found something like an outside transaction that the buyer didn't think was going to affect this transaction, but actually it does. So I bring this up so you guys make sure as buyers that even if you're If you're getting a HELOC or refinancing, or you're buying another property in California that doesn't have anything to do with this one, make sure you tell your loan officer about all of these things. Even if you think it's not going to make a difference, it can, and it's much better to just tell them too much upfront than to not tell them enough and have a surprise a few days before closing and potentially lose your earnest money. Uh, Okay, so going on to appraisal. So let's say the appraisal comes in low. Bill, uh, our options. R to A terminate, B, ask the seller to come down to the appraised value, or C, maybe meet somewhere in the middle. So I would imagine last year, two years ago, you saw a lot of having to come out of pocket to pay uh to go up to the appraised value on the buyer's side. Uh now we probably are seeing more. Sellers being willing to at least negotiate or maybe come all the way down. For yeah.
1: Sure. This is this is always like the the kick in the nuts at the very end of the deal because you're like, you've already gotten through everything, you've already done all this work. And then this random appraiser comes out of nowhere and is like, mm, no, nah, it's not worth that. Now, I mean, in an appreciating market, it's you kind of roll your eyes, you're like, okay, I get it. Your job is to compare comps to comps to comps and get a dollar per square footage and then use that dollar square footage assumption for whatever this said property is. And if you pick the wrong comps, it's not going to look good. So we don't have that as being a major issue currently. But yes, um, having been down this path, like it's something that if it's materially way, way, way off, there there is a possibility you can tell that appraiser to potentially look at other comps to try and refactor it. Most appraisers do not want to do that. They're like, no, I'm right. This is what I did. I already worked on it on the next thing. But there are cases where you can if you know for sure, like, Hey, why did you pull this comp when that closed in 2020? When you could have pulled this one that closed in 2022, that has a higher valuation that would support this and actually save our deal. Cause you, you know, you you've, I I remember this literally like last summer, like someone had a a 700 plus thousand dollar deal and it was off by like $40,000. And it's like, there's comps that support this, so we were able to get them to refactor it and basically bring it up, bring it up all the way. So, in the event you do have to renegotiate, the appraiser's not moving their their uh, their valuation. It just becomes like how much how much of a gap is there, and that's why last year we we're doing a lot of the appraisal gap uh, special contract terms where you would put out there. For um your buyers basically saying, hey, if it doesn't appraise by 15000 dollars 20000 dollars dollars you will bring that to the closing and not uh end the end of the contract because you're you're assuming it's gonna be potentially not appraising and not gonna kill the deal about it. So, but yeah, that's uh kind of rambling, but that's that's how I feel about appraising. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, no, so what I want buyers to understand is this. So an appraisal at the end of the day is just one person's analysis of what they think the property is worth. So if they're having a bad day or they make a mistake or something, it's possible that you can get an appraisal that's undervalued or overvalued. Um, But it can happen that it will be undervalued. And unfortunately, we can't just go say, hey, can I have a new appraisal, please? Uh, Typically, you can submit through your lender what's called a reconsideration of value where you can send a bunch of comps that you think they didn't use or they didn't use correctly. I've never seen that work very much. I've seen them bump it a little, but never anything significant. So if that happens and there's just a blatant, like, why did you not use this identical comp right next door that happens to be the exact contract price The only thing you can really do at that point is go to a new lender and start the entire process over again, because there are a lot of rules and regulations in place to keep us as agents and lenders and buyers and sellers from being able to influence appraisals. So uh, a lender can't just say, oh, we don't like that appraisal. Let's get a new one either. You kind of have to go all the way back through the process and uh, see what the next one happens to be. I've seen that work. I've also seen it not work. So if you get in that situation, that is an option, but you have to start back at the beginning, basically. Um, okay. So let's say we made it all the way through the deal, happy with our inspection, appraisal came in at value. We've got our loan. Hey, real confirmation. quick, what,
1: one more thing. I don't want to cut you off with the I never realized too that lenders they don't like. So people are like, Do I order the appraisal? It's like, no, you don't. The lender orders it, but the lender never directly orders it. They use the appraisal management company. So they have this barrier. So there's no collusion um, with banks and appraisers working together to support fake values. So that's something where, you know, a lot of times your bank's like, sorry, we're kind of handcuffed here. This is the the appraiser that was chosen by the AMC. And that's something that, you know, can be frustrating when you're like, you feel like maybe they picked a bad one. That just like, just like people or whatever. I mean, there's good, there's good ones and bad ones. And if they get the wrong one, you're like, okay, we might be at risk here. And ultimately it's like, it's outside of their hands. So nothing you can really do to influence that.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So let's say we're all the way at the end of the deal. We're getting ready to close and we have to do what's called our final walkthrough. So Bill, who does a final walkthrough or who can who? Ideally the
1: final walkthrough that's, that's the client. That's something that if they want a final walkthrough, that's their right to check out the property uh, at the very end. So, if they're out of state and they can't do it, what I like to do is say, "Hey, here's my here's my video. I'm going to flip this around. Let's go check out everything you want you want me to check out." And that's something where I don't have a checklist. I'm not the one. I'm not an inspector. So we're looking for to make sure, hey, is anything missing or is anything completely you know out of place or is there a brand new leak? Um, we just want to walk through the property at, and find anything that the buyer just wants to check on to make sure make sure it works.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And what can happen is agent or not, what can happen agents aren't qualified to do final walkthroughs. So you know if and it's happened to me, I've done one for a client. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll just go take a video for you, no problem. And a couple weeks later. Client calls me furious because there's squishy floors around one of the toilets and I should have caught it. And, but I didn't go sit down on the toilet. I didn't go over there. So, uh, I, it, it really is in the buyer's best interest for them to come do their own final walkthrough and inspect everything to their level of what they want. Because really what the point of a final inspection or final walkthrough is, is to just make sure that the property is in the same or better condition than it was when you got under contract or got the inspection. So buyers, I think you guys really need to come in and do your own. Um, And then, I mean, there's I've seen things happen too, where just like little furniture or decor items were taken by the seller and a, an agent didn't happen to notice that. And then buyers are really upset. So the best person to do a final walkthrough is you yourself as the buyer. The second best person, and um, I don't know if you guys do this in your market, Johnny, but a lot of our other markets, they uh, home inspectors will, uh, for a small fee, go back out and just re-inspect and make sure that everything is the same that it was. And that if there was anything that was asked to be fixed, that it is fixed. And that's, you know, the second best person besides yourself as the buyer to come do that. You guys do that?
2: Uh, Yeah, we do re-inspections. I always say if you're going to have things fixed, they can take pictures to confirm that it was repaired, how they wanted it repaired, and they can save the re-inspection fee. But yes, we go out there and if you want five items checked or 10 items, absolutely, you can do that for them. Awesome. Yep.
0: All right. So let's say we have come in town to do our final inspection and it went well, looks great, and we're going to closing. So here's where different markets can kind of be different and confuse people. When do the keys get handed over, Bill? Is it at the time of signing, at the time of funding? When does that happen?
1: Well, it's supposed to be funding. So luckily, since these are vacation homes and second homes, it's not like... I mean, sometimes it's easier to be like, "Here, take the keys." The you know, wires coming later today, or but the the official formal answer is it needs to happen once once the, the deal is funded, i.e., I- 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 like all the paperwork's been signed, title company has everything in there, and money's been paid out to everybody. So,
0: yeah. So maybe the seller will be nice and say, "Here you go," but it really. You need to plan on it being when it funds. So, what that means to you as a buyer is that if you come in town to close at 3.30 on a Friday, it may not fund until first thing Monday morning. So keep that in mind, because if you're coming in town with a truckload full of furniture or something like that, or planning to stay in your property the night of closing, those plans can be foiled very quickly. So uh, what I typically would plan on doing is hopefully just closing on a weekday, like not, well, Friday is technically a weekday, but like a Wednesday. So the worst Worst case scenario is you're in a hotel the night of closing and then you can get in there the next day.
1: And bring a cashier's check because wires can get wonky. I don't know if, Avery, if you've experienced that, but where Friday money's not here. I set yeah. the wire. <laughs> where is it? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of money to get lost. Right. And then. The bank's yeah. given their money, and then Monday comes around, and it's like we still don't have it.
0: <laughs> I Ninety mean, percent of the people that we have close in other markets, they just close remotely and have the inspector do the final walkthrough, and then just come, you know, the next week or when they can get around to it. So you don't have to really worry about. I mean, you do have to worry about wires, but there's no way to really do a cashier's check. But yeah, just depends on what you know what's important to you. Uh, do you want to? Not have to travel, or do you want to, you know, make sure that it gets the money gets there quickly and efficiently? It just kind of depends on how you want to do it.
1: We do a lot of mailouts here, so I know some areas, like some states, it's like big to do mobile notaries. Some of our companies have
0: mm-hmm. mobile
1: notaries that for a fee that you can do if you want the notary to come to you and you just sign everything there. Otherwise, some of the title companies will just just give you your documents in a FedEx overnight, and then you can just take it to a bank or any notary and you just sign everything and put it back in the FedEx and then gets back to the title company.
0: Yep. Um, yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. Contract to close. Uh, is there anything else, Bill, that you think that potential buyers in the uh, Branson market might need to hear before we go? Anything we missed? Oh, just
1: sometimes the keys, like I've had this happen a lot where we don't have keys. You're like, what? What do you mean there's no keys? It's like, no, like the guy that bought it had a, like a you know front door Schlage encode lock. And then he never got the key. And then he just kind of passed it along. And then we resold it again. And the buyer's like, well, wait, I have to have a key, right? And it's like, well, there is a possibility that you can get something without a key. And you know, hopefully it's not not common, but it can happen. This is more of a heads up. That's Oh, yeah. That can I've be a situation a where it happens a lot.
0: I've seen it happen a lot where there's just a code and that's it. And we haven't had keys in 20 years and we don't know where they are. And that's yep. the end of it. And I've seen people get really mad about it. But I mean, it just happens and you should be changing the locks anyway right. <laughs> as a best practice. So mm-hmm. don't worry about that. Uh, but a lot of times it's like, yeah, guys, it's just the code. So be aware that that can happen for sure.
1: Yeah, and then on the Keith, this is totally random, but like normally the the mailbox isn't set up to take mail, so you have to actually go to like the post office to go set that up. Because these are again communities where the majority of these are all being rented out for the same purpose. So the, the why why send out people to deliver mail if they know that these are owned by investors that are out of state, where it's just gonna you know take a bunch of um, you know flyers that are just gonna fill up the box and on a you know wasting everybody's time. So.
0: Yep. All right. Well, if there is nothing else, then we'll go ahead and go. Uh, guys, if you want to buy a place in Branson with Bill, you can email us at agents at the and we will connect you. And if you just have more questions about it, you can certainly join our Facebook group. It's called short term rental, long term wealth, same title as my book. And we also have on every Thursday, a live zoom Q&A for all of our markets. So if you just have more questions that you want to get answered, you can sign up to join that at strquestions.com. Thanks, everyone.
1: Thanks, Avery.